Ruined it. <laughs> awesome. All right. We're back for our second episode. I know everybody's been eagerly awaiting uh, another episode of this podcast. So we're excited to be here and uh, kind of talk about the state of the job market. Uh, it's an exciting week. Uh, it's Jobs Friday. Always a Always an exciting time around here. Uh, we're also about to release our uh, April monthly recap, which is kind of just a, a little bit different of a version of, well, same data, not a different version that way, but um, kind different of a format. different format. Um, <clears throat> so we've got that going on. Also big, big bed meeting this week. That was not really a surprise to anybody. Um, so yeah, I thought today we could just, uh, obviously I'm Tom and joined by Toby. <laughs> Uh, at link up, and uh, apparently, we're still new to the podcast thing, <laughs> you gotta work on an agenda. Uh, so I figured what we do today is just kind of run through kind of your most recent uh NFP prediction, um, and talk a little bit about what we saw in April. That sounds good to you. Sort of jump in, yeah. Unless you, you want to get jokes, no, tell some jokes. I did not. Uh, yeah, we've got a, so obviously Job Friday is tomorrow. Um, we are, we forecasted based on our data uh, for March and April, we forecasted a net gain for April of 60,000 jobs uh, based a little bit on March's data, uh, which um, job openings were up significantly in March. They came back down a little bit in April. So again, we're, we're looking at our jobs data, which is sourced entirely from job openings on company websites around the world. So we go out every day and index millions of jobs directly on company websites. So we've got uh, a very strong, accurate, uh, predictive data set that, that is highly correlated to job growth in, in future periods. So that's our, our forecasts are based on that data. Uh, and it's it very representative of. Uh, sort of the broad economy in, in the U.S. And, and countries around the world that we're focused primarily around the data set and our forecasts are, are U.S. centric. So, um, yeah, it was we're we're forecasting above consensus. I think the consensus for Friday for uh, for April's jobs is about one hundred fifty thousand or something like that. So, not a huge upside, but I think given the Focus these days on what's going on with inflation and wages and salary and uh, Fed policy and sort of jitters around the markets and the economy and predictions of a recession. Uh, the job market continues to be center stage. Uh, maybe here in that state, it's fine. What's going on in banks, but but it's uh, there's a lot of continued focus on what's going on in the job market. So I think a surprise of any kind. Uh, Upside, particularly, is going to have some some impact on where things are headed. Two things there. One, just to give a sense, I know Toby mentioned that you know the that their job listings were up in March and back down a little bit in April. But I think it's kind of it to me. It's pretty drastic. I mean, in in the recap in the first paragraph, we talk about how there was you know twenty one point six jump, twenty one point six percent jump in uh, new job listings in March. And down almost, you know, to like just eight percent in April. So yeah. it's a pretty wild swing. And I think that's new job listings. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and so, yeah, when, in our estimate as is at 260, but like ADPs is at like 296, yeah. I get yeah. it. It's up there. So what yeah. do you, any idea? Like, and I haven't, I, I haven't done <laughs> too much into ADPs estimate yet, but what do you think is kind of a difference there? Well, I think they're, they are, they're more private focused, uh, private, private sector uh, right. jobs is, is one difference, but I also, and, and there's, you know, there's some differences there in methodology and sort of the data they're looking at that they you know, sort of waver in and out of whether or not they think that their number is trying to be, you know, they, they claim they're not trying to forecast on front page walls. It's just their, mm. their data points on what they think is, is you know, their estimate of so that it's a little squishier. Um, I think generally, though, we share the view that that the job market continues to be very strong. Uh, we're you know the, the historical average over a long period of time of of two hundred fifty thousand jobs ish per month is is sort of that, and we're sort of right in that period. Um, you know, around that range, it's, it's kind of our forecast. But I think the average for Q1 was about 300 and 340,000 or something like that in, in the first quarter per month, 340,000 jobs. So it's down a little bit from there, but still stronger than that. Uh, I think what the, you know, the consensus view and sort of the very view that people have about a recession coming and uh, you know, eventually a, a, a labor market is going to break under the pressure of, of these rate hikes. And we just, we're not seeing that labor demand. Uh, we have seen come down since, you know, for the past 12 months, very, very steadily. It's down about 20, 25% uh, labor demand job openings. So we do see that the, the, the job market is cooling off from a demand standpoint. But hiring is still very strong, as we said, for the last, you know, really through that entire 12 month period, what we've seen is that there is just a, a huge amount of, of equilibrium that has been brought into the labor market. It really, you know, coming out of the pandemic, there's just this sort of massive supply shock, both in terms of initially and uh, sort of goods and labor, uh, just very, very uh, severe lack of, of goods that people were looking for from another pandemic and no labor uh, in a, given everything that had happened during the pandemic. That shifted in, uh, that was sort of 2021 and 2022, it shifted to uh, also a very acute labor shortage, but in services uh, as people as sort of the COVID and, and lockdowns and sort of like return to normal. That has that supply demand imbalance. That's what we call the bid ask spread between employers and employees. That essentially got uh, solved for by employers making every single concession that they had to make, needed to make, bring people back to work. And that included first and foremost raising wages, family uh, benefits, sign on bonuses, adapting and, and embracing remote work and hybrid work, uh, improving. Uh, corporate culture, uh, all kinds of concessions that they made anywhere and everywhere they needed to bring people back into the market. And that really bridged this huge gap. Took place slowly over the course of a year or so. Um, but in every subsequent wave of sort of raised wages and, and more concessions, more people started returning back to work. 
quits escalated, people quit jobs for better jobs. Uh, so all of that just created equilibrium. And then more recently, there have been some layoffs um, and that just creates more supply. So this, again, this bid-ass spread has narrowed and that has led to uh, finally now is that as that bid-ass spread narrowed, the, the wage inflation has finally started to taper off because the, the demand, uh, this sort of acute imbalance is getting solved for and the pressure, upward pressure on wages has subsided. So wage inflation is coming down, unemployment hasn't budged because you know, there is just a state incredibly strong on the labor market as a whole. So this soft landing that we've been forecasting for a year has really, it, it not only is it happening, it, it effectively has happened. Inflation is coming down, wage inflation is tapered off, unemployment hasn't moved an inch. So um, I think that all of that is, has, is, uh, has played out in sort of an ideal optimal way. And hopefully, even with the surprise the upside tomorrow, uh, hopefully that isn't going to you know, cause the Fed to flinch. And like they said again yesterday, that it might be time to, to, to pause on future hikes, which I think is absolutely what they should be doing. And I think that you know, the soft landing has, has been really deftly you know, uh, sort of orchestrated. And there's no need to just drive the, drive the economy into a ditch and force a recession uh, to keep hiking. I think that. Cool. Yeah. Um, one thing I'm I'm kind of wondering about, and I <clears throat> I talked a little bit about this on our last episode a month and a half ago. Uh, you mean our first episode? Yeah, the inaugural episode. Uh, I'm kind of curious, and I was at the Unleash conference uh, last week in Vegas, and I talked about this with a few folks too. And it's always interesting to see like across the the kind of suite of like HR tech solutions providers and kind of what what services they're offering. And I don't know if this was just different because it unleashes a little bit smaller of a conference than HR tech or what the deal is. But I, I'm kind of always wondering, you know, you talk about the bid-ask spread and the kind of concessions that employers have had to make. Um, and, you know, wage inflation is one thing that kind of stands by itself. But a lot of these other things that we're kind of much more around corporate culture and, you know, um, you know, just wild benefits like you saw in Silicon Valley and stuff. When Trump, or not Trump, but Elon Musk took, <laughs> yeah, same difference. When Musk took over Twitter, uh, you know, everybody was talking about, oh, it's a return to, or, you know, the bossism is back, you know, and everybody's doing away with these things and you're shaking your head. I feel like that, and I, and I tend to agree but as we talk about it more, that's where we've seen more and more layoffs is in that yeah. kind of more that's the space that has those kind of perks, those, you know, but then in the services is where we see more and more. And even in the, in the recap, yeah, it's transportation and material moving where we saw the biggest increases last month. Yeah. Like, so I guess, I guess what I'm wondering is, do you think it's like the, like wage inflation was real, it was needed. And as you mentioned at the end of your, your posts, you know, you gotta, you know, that that's kind of what matters most and we can get, back to more of your comments there, but um, what do you see happening more with like the, the kind of fringe benefits? Of yeah, that? I think a, a lot of that, that, you know, that I think the, the great resignation as, as it's been termed, I think is, was, is, 
was and is and remains a very real thing. I think people are coming out of it. Uh, it's one of the, I think, permanent might be a little strong. We'll see how, how sustained that is. I think there are aspects of it that will be permanent. I think everybody, you know, post-pandemic has really, you know, they, they reevaluated a lot of their priorities in life and, and work was, was first and foremost in this, uh, sort of collectively, and this is very much in the aggregate as a society. So everybody's got individual stories, every company is different, every employer, you know, there's a lot of individuality around that. But at, I think at the highest level, all of that was very real. And I think employers had to really take stock of what that meant for their businesses in terms of bringing people back to work and keeping people motivated and happy and, and working and productive and, and being able to, to operate their businesses in a way. It was really a whole reset, I think, on a lot of that. And I think there, you know, in the hybrid remote work was probably two behind benefits and, and, uh, and wages, full comp. I think that the remote work was a real thing and, and restoring some work-life balance sort of fits in with that. I think, um, Companies realizing that to, to bring people back and a lot of they had to make concessions around, you know, even again on the lower ends of of, um, of sort of the, the compensation levels in lower lower wage uh, occupations and, and industries, you know, how they treat their workers, how they set up shifts, how they accommodate schedules and, and work-life balance and all of those things, I think really most companies realize that that that, that had to be uh, adapted to this new landscape. So I think there is a lot there that is going to be permanent. I do think that um, people's uh, you know, propensity to, to shift jobs is going to remain. People are not going to tolerate working in places. Um, but but like lots of things, I think there was sort of a you know, there was a big, the pendulum always tends to sort of overshoot. And I think that uh, it was probably dramatic, and it's it's reverted back a little bit to the mean. And there are some companies now. I think companies realize, okay, five days a week out of the office uh, that we thought we could do is probably they're we're giving up some things. And I think even to some extent, employees realize that yeah. there's some value in coming back to work. It's one example. Right? So I think that there is a little bit of normalization there that's going on. But I think generally speaking. A lot of those things in, in sort of this new post-pandemic world, the, the, there's a lot of permanence to some of those shifts that have, have taken place, and I think those are going to stay. And, uh, and uh, it, which I, I think is 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 very healthy, and productive, and, and good overall for for the economy, society, for workers, and and, and companies. Yeah, I think another another shift that. Um... That we can talk about briefly and you know is available on our website but is the that sparkling capital paper about the shift to like more old economy and kind of how that's transforming with with the changes over the last year so you know a lot of the the younger or you know new tech talent kind of you know centered in silicon valley but as things changed and you know stock prices change valuations change and layoffs happen they kind of move into other parts of the economy and that that shift is is really interesting. And that, yeah, I think that really, really is. That paper is, I encourage anybody to come to our website and hand down was a fabulous paper on sort of what's happened with with uh, really, you know, high high tech uh, workforce and, and Silicon Valley, which clearly over hired uh, coming out of the pandemic and, and 
So again, the sort of normalization that's gone on there, I think they led the wave of, of layoffs uh, that started a, a roughly whatever it was a year ago or so. Uh, and most people did get absorbed back into the, uh, they were out of work. You know, it's just crazy how fast they got reabsorbed back into the workforce. I mean, given their skill set and, and knowledge and, and um, value to, to anybody that uh, could attract them and hire them, they, you know, there was absolutely, again, that was one of the phenomena that helped also bridge this uh, supply demand imbalance in the job market. And a lot of those people had left Silicon Valley working remote. And uh, I, I think, again, that has been, is hugely beneficial to all the companies. And as, as Kai writes in the paper, you know, a lot of the sort of pulled economy companies that hired that down are going to. They are uh, ripe for major transformation and, and productivity gains and improvements in their business models based on bringing in a, a, a pretty massive influx of really high-end tech knowledge uh, that are going to, I think, significantly benefit those businesses. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and like we like we said that that that's on our site and we've shared, we've shared it a couple of different places. So. Um, it is a really interesting paper um, and interesting too. At the same time, our partners at Ravenpack put out a really interesting paper about um, novel tech adoption and just how those you know companies that that adopt new technologies faster than their peers they they certainly outperform them. So um, having you know more talent available to effectively adopt those technologies has really been been benefiting from some more of those like older economy companies. Um, cool. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I don't have too much more to cover. I think the, the one thing I was curious about um, is in towards the end of your post, you mentioned uh, perhaps just maybe as a society, uh, the Fed determines that livable wages and setting prices for goods and services in a manner that accurately reflects true costs in a way that's best for society as a whole might necessitate raising its inflation target from an arbitrary and deeply flawed 2% target. Wait, what plan am I on? You want um, just I just thought I'd give you a little bit of a soapbox. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's an interesting. There's a lot in there. So I, I you know, generally speaking, and I think where we continue to see um upward pressure on wages is in the service sector and low wage um occupations and in services. And I think that is going to persist when people talk about sticky inflation or sticky wage inflation. That's where we continue to see it. And uh those jobs are have just historically been very underpaid in this society. We we do not put a premium value on on service and the service economy. And it's I think to the detriment of uh, all the people that work there, I think uh, it's a detriment to uh, society as a whole. And, and again, it is a little bit of a soapbox, but it is also, it's, it's true. Uh, it's, it's very factual. And I think that that's, you know, we're seeing the ramifications of that now when, uh, you know, those wages are, you know, starting to finally go up a little bit. And at a time when, you know, unfortunately now there's, there's a risk of, if, if the Fed continues to raise uh, rates to try to try to you know, squash out inflation, but that's the part of the economy that's going to be impacted when we go into a recession. It's the, the low low end of that uh, of the economy that that bears the brunt of that. It's it's unfortunate, um, 
So that's a little bit of there. I think the three percent inflation target, I think, is is really you know, and and uh, you know, Fed Chair got uh, sort of pounded yesterday on that. People asking if that was you know if he, they were considering a change to their target. I think they at the moment they're 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 not clearly going to move that way now. Uh, I think they're debating they've got some credibility to make up for. Uh, so I don't think they're going to visit that topic anytime soon. But I do think that that's a fundamental question is what is the right level of wage inflation and broader inflation that's going to allow uh, us uh, to support a healthy, vibrant economy to, to provide livable wages across the board and, and to have some sort of balance uh, between employers and employees. And I think that that 3% target is going to have to be examined in light of that. You've got you know, massive demographic structural changes with retiring baby boomers. That's going on. You know, that, that is a fact that is happening. That's going to create uh, some more imbalance in the job market. You've got climate change impacts. You've got uh, 50 years of, of sort of flat wages uh, that, are, you know, that need to be made up for. So there's a lot of big, big sort of tectonic you know, shifts going on that are impacting everything. I think that 3% uh, target is, is going to have to, you know, is, is really going to continue to be move into as a primary area of focus uh, coming out of this at some point whenever we're done with this sort of hype cycle. Uh, I do think that that's going to be, that's going to uh, come back from the center. And I ended the post uh, this week with a forecast. And I saw a fantastic documentary, uh, actually by a local uh, Minneapolis woman who makes documentaries called Food and Country that's coming out uh, this late this spring. Just a fantastic film on the structural flaws of our food system in America, really coming out of essentially World War II, as a country, we decided that we were going to have the cheapest food in the world. It also, uh, to achieve that goal, it also is the least healthy food in the world. So we have literally the cheapest and lowest quality food production, uh, most abundant, but cheapest and, and very low quality food. We also then concurrently now have, and are very much of that, with the highest cost healthcare in the world. To make up for that. So, uh, and part of that low cost means that we just have these structural systems in place that, that effectively pay uh, not, you know, low livable wages for people in agriculture and, and food service. And uh, it's, it's just this massive set of, of uh, structural impediments to uh, healthy food, abundant, you know, abundant healthy food. And uh, and livable wages. It's, it's, uh, I encourage anyone to see it. It is a fantastic strong um, uh, recommend touching on a lot of these kinds of issues. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Does she does she cover like does she make recommendations <laughs> like what we can do differently? Yeah, there 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 are. I mean, it's really cool. It, it came out of the pandemic and sort of the impact of the pandemic on restaurants and food service and, and uh, agriculture and farmers and all kinds of it and just basically have all these literally Zoom recordings um, and, and touches on farmers and restaurants and 
uh, all over the country and, and uh, ranchers. It just is a great survey of, of how the food system works. And, and there are there are very much, uh, you know, there are some recommendations. It, not, it isn't sort of a, a prescription on how to fix right. all these problems. It's much more of sort of the effect of an impact on people's lives and, and sort of as a society, how we're set up and how we have to live with this setup that is really embedded in, in the fabric of America that is, is really having some very serious ramifications for, for everybody. And, so, and they do a fantastic job through it, very apolitical. It's just, this is it, and it is right and left, and it is, it's, it's not a, yeah. it's not a, um, Sort of one sided view on it. it it's really uh it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. That does sound yeah, I mean we're all we're all living here, we're all eating the same food. Yeah, you know, largely. Um, so she doesn't ask the Fed to change their inflation target? She no, does not. Okay. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, we'll keep your eyes peeled for that movie. And um I think that's that's all I've got today. And there's anything else you wanted to cover? No, that's it. Excellent. We will uh, we will look for uh, job numbers coming out tomorrow. Hope we're in the ballpark. Yeah, if 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 we if we nail it, we'll hop back on for a victory lap. But uh, frequently wrong, never in doubt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll do another one of these in a month. Excellent. All right, thanks, Toby. Thanks.